Hi, welcome to the Penis Project podcast. This is the place to come to find out everything you've always wanted to know about men's health but were too embarrassed to ask. Join physiotherapist Dr. Joe Milios and sexologist nurse practitioner Melissa Hadley Barrett as they talk to real men and the experts about men's private parts. Have a burning question you really want to know the answer to? Please subscribe to our website at thepenisproject.org and just ask us. The greater the length while the greater the strength, the more time I've got for you. There's too much talking, texting, tweeting, posting. Too much noise altogether. In silence is strength and peace and space. Imagine silence forever. The Penis Project podcast is proudly supported and sponsored by PROST, Exercise for Prostate Cancer, and the RS Health Penile Rehabilitation Program. PROST is a not-for-profit charity set up by myself in 2012 that aims to help men exercise during their experience with prostate cancer. If you want to know anything more about PROST, including our online service and USB product now available, please just go to prost.com.au. Hi, I'm Melissa Hadley-Barrett and I designed the Penile Rehabilitation Program to help men recover from prostate cancer. It's an online program built on decades worth of knowledge and experience and practice. It's the only one of its kind in the world and it actually works. So if you've been diagnosed with prostate cancer and want to get your penis working again as quickly as possible, and why wouldn't you, then visit penilerehabilitationprogram.com and you'll be off and running. And it only takes about 15 minutes a day. All the best with your recovery, which I promise will never be as bad as you think. November 11, 11am, 60 seconds, kids watch on the wall. Welcome to the Penis Project. This is a very exciting episode this week. We have a gentleman with us who has a HIV and he's going to tell us his story. And today we're going to let Kendall run the show and I'm just going to ask annoying questions because I know nothing and I'm hearing the story for the first time as well. And this is Kendall's go. So go Kendall. Thank you. So today we have Ryan who, yes, is HIV positive. Um, He's gay identifying and he's a Kiwi living in Perth. I saw Ryan at university giving a talk about his journey and I really wanted him to share his story because it blew me away and I just wanted everyone else to hear it Um, because this is all about men's health and stigma related to certain conditions and I think this is a great topic to talk about and try and change that stigma. So Ryan was diagnosed in 2008 while working um, as a Christian ministry in Japan. And his diagnosis was the catalyst for major changes in every aspect of his life. So he's worked in many various jobs and now is the proud owner of Our Services Group, which delivers cleaning and gardening and laundry services throughout the Greater Perth. And he'll talk to you more through that, how he landed up there. So for the last eight years, he's also been heavily involved in the HIV sector. So he'll also talk about what's new and upcoming and and what the way is forward. So thank you, Ryan. Thanks uh, very much. It's um, a privilege, pleasure to be on on um, on here. You're allowed to say the penis. The penis project. project. (laughs) (laughs) It's a pleasure to be on the penis. Um, on the on the penis project. (laughs) Great, great start. Um, so my story. Um really begins probably with my um, childhood. Um, I was raised in a very conservative Christian um, country um, farming family. Um, so it was kind of sheltered from a lot of a lot of things that um, that a lot of people uh, take as everyday life and sex education probably was not one of um, a hot topic within the house. <laughs> Um, are a kiwi. Do they talk about sheep and things? Well, that goes without saying. We all, always wear a, a gu- pair of gumboots a size too big. Right. <laughs> I'm sure everyone knows that joke. Um, I um, went over to Japan in my last year of high school, um, and then I came back um, to New Zealand. I was studying um, other Asia, uh, Chinese and Japanese languages and also... Um, uh, politi- political science, um, and then um, I did a mission within the church. During the course of that mission, I went back to Japan 
on that. And it was in Japan that I was diagnosed uh, with with HIV. I had fairly good Japanese language, mm -hmm. but when you're dealing with um, something as specific as a health diagnosis, all of us, and especially something with it that is a quite a major diagnosis, that that um, that language soon um, dissipates really quickly. So, how old were you? At the time, I was. I'm not a very good HIV positive person. I don't remember what they call their HIV birth date. <laughs> um, I I was um, yeah, I would have been in my, my mid to late, like about 26, 27 okay. at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was, it, it was, I'd had a few bouts of tonsillitis. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I was actually going to get my tonsils removed, a tonsillectomy at the time. And uh, during the pre-op tests, they, my HIV result came back as a positive. So I'd, the Japanese health system is you go, or at the hospital you go in and you go around to the different departments to do your tests and everything. And then I came back to the uh, specialist and um, he just kind of handed me this sheet of paper. I was sitting there, he handed me this sheet of paper and, and around the HIV, it had this big red circle um, and there was a plus symbol. And um, he goes, Eto anosa choto mandai garu ne choto ne, which literally means, um, yeah, there's a um, bit of a problem. Um, and that was my diagnosis. So I then said to him, I said, look, um, is there someone I can talk to um, and find out some more information about this or what, you know, what does this mean? Um, and so begrudgingly, he arranged for me to see a hematologist. Um, <laughs> I don't know why. Well, I guess yeah. it has to do with the blood. Yeah, he thought, oh, it's yeah. blood. Yeah, <laughs> it's blood. blood. Something's wrong with the blood. Yeah. Um, so I popped um, around to see the hematologist. Um, I don't know even if they had an infectious diseases department in the hospital there. But um, anyway, went to the hematologist who kind of told me, look, that was a preliminary result I would have to wait uh, seven days for what they call a western blot or a a test which would confirm the result and everyone told me look it could be you know this is not like everyone was trying to boost my spirits I guess um, anyway it didn't take much to go back and I did a bit of um, good old google research and google diagnosis always you know, it's a wonderful thing for making you feel like you're going to die the next day. Um, but one thing I did realise, um, I actually started chatting online to um, on some other forums, which is really great for it to actually get the lived experience. Mm -hmm. um, and that's something I still work very strongly about today, is for new diagnoses to be able to connect with other positive people. Because um, having that lived experience... Um, is is really important for someone getting access to care mm -hmm. and also to know that, hey, we've, you know, been in your situation before. And you're still alive. Like, yeah. how old are you now? Yeah, you can't get rid of me that quickly. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm, um, I'm 40 now. Yeah, so yeah. that's a great thing, isn't it? If yeah. you're a young person being diagnosed and you can have someone tell you that. So yeah. Yeah. But and did you know much about HIV before that diagnosis? No, I knew absolutely nothing. nothing. It was something I kind of lived in fear of. Okay. Um, and of course, with, um, you know, being a conservative Christian farming um, upbringing, um, it was, yes, something that was kind of a, a horror of mm -hmm. it identifying who I was sexually, yes. as well as, you know, the shame of the shame of it and the stigma involved with it. Yeah. And did your family know that you were gay before that? No, so that was kind of a double coming out with everything. Mm. Ironically, um, my family take my health diagnosis a lot better than what they class as my choice of lifestyle. Okay. So um, that is something they can talk about quite freely. Yeah. Um, but my choice of lifestyle is something that they kind of choose to, well, it's something they feel uncomfortable discussing and so they don't discuss it. Yeah, okay. okay. Mm -hmm. So after the week, I went back to the hospital and I got confirmed 
my HIV diagnosis. Um, so from there, I went uh, through to Tokyo to, um, they had a clinic there. And I met this old Obasan and she gave me some real sage advice and said, um, whatever you do, um, don't do anything for six months. No major life-changing decisions for six months. Mm. And I've kind of kept that bit of advice with me through other difficult stages of my life as well. And especially with HIV, you can feel like your whole world is ending. Mm. You can feel like that um, you're going to be dead in six months um, if you don't know anything about it. Um, and you can feel like you need to change everything. But that six months waiting just helps you then to make decisions that you w wouldn't have made in the heat of the diagnosis. Mm. They weren't easy six months though, and it was a little over six months before I came went back to New Zealand. Um, in that time, I was uh, treated by a psychiatrist in Japan, and the uh, Japanese mental health system is not what um, it is here in Australia and New Zealand. Uh, their treatment for me was Rehypnol. Really? And by the time <laughs> I came back... Just for to anybody listening, Rohypnol is what we commonly call the date rape drug. Mm -hmm. Very strange choice, but yes, Ray, keep going. It was a bit late by that stage, <laughs> wasn't it? <laughs> I was thinking that. I'm glad you said it. <laughs> so originally I was on one milligram a night and then they upped it to two milligrams a night. The Japanese mental health care or their thoughts around it are just to sedate someone until they can cope with what they have to deal with. I was thinking it was so you didn't go and have sex with anyone and pass it on. <laughs> Sorry. No, it wasn't to do with my HIV. It was just to do no. with my brains. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, I went back to New Zealand and um, the, the doctor that I saw in New Zealand was gobsmacked of what I was on and said to me there is no way I can prescribe you anything like that mm. so I ended up having to come off that cold turkey mm. which is a pretty horrific drug to be on I um, went back and I was, had obviously had some needed some time to get on top of my mental health mm. my physical health wasn't great at that time either mm. obviously mental health and physical health are really interrelated mm. um, so had, I went back to the farm and I was with mum and dad. And this is one thing I always say that while, while our belief systems and our, our, our choices of life, you know, may, may seem quite varied and, and from different paths, um, you know, they are the only parents I'll ever have. And, you know, they, they, they will always be there to love me and, and to look after me mm -hmm. um, for as long as they live. Um, and that's that's one thing you know I'm extremely grateful for that support from family, and and I think that's really important with with an HIV diagnosis is having the correct people around you to support you because there is there is the physical aspect of it, there is the mental health aspect of it, and then there's the ongoing stigma and discrimination that you that you encounter. It must have been so hard for them. Like, had you by that stage <coughs> told them what your diagnosis was and everything? Yeah, so I'd mentioned it to them. Mm -hmm. My sister actually came over and saw me in Japan mm -hmm. and I told her face to face. And then we arranged a time that um, she would be with my parents. Mm -hmm. uh, when, um, when, the when, when we had that convers conversation with them. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, coming from a total different generation, um, yeah, it was a major thing. Mm, definitely. Coming back, uh, it being in a small country town, even small things like going to the dentist, mm -hmm. um, you'd ring up and they would say, oh, don't worry, come at the end of the day so we can clean the um, surgery down properly after you've left. Um, so you're obvious, like, those are just small little things that you'd encounter when, when accessing different um, health services the thought in your mind is shouldn't you be actually cleaning it before I come in yeah. my I'm immunocompromised yeah. um, I you know obviously I need to take care of you know different things that could affect my immune system here and you're worried about cleaning it after I leave mm. like I want I want to know that you're using sterile equipment on me to start with mm. um, 
it's a good way of weeding out um, good practices. Mm. Um, I know here in WA, and I think there are in other areas, they, they do. There are lists of um, HIV positive, HIV friendly um, dentists or or um, uh, doctors, um, so you don't have to face that sort of discrimination when you're trying to just access health services. It's so sad to hear that because as health professionals, we should be treating everybody like they have a potentially mm. bloodborne disease and protecting all of us from each other getting it. And mm. that just to hear that when they know that, they treat you differently is mm. so sad. Yeah. yeah. It still yeah. goes on in the hospital, like I was telling you before. Mm. It, there's still the conversation when someone comes in with HIV positive or hep C positive, but in remission you know it's it's got nothing to do with anything there's no extra cleaning there's no yeah. nothing mm. but it's still talked about where the patient will be put on last on the list or something like that it's still done like that yeah which yeah. basically just kind of says they don't trust their own sterilization techniques yeah. or something yeah. and then anyone else who's been on the list that day could have had it and be undiagnosed yeah. or anything else it's madness yeah. Yeah. It, especially with like undetectable viral load and I know undetectable mm. viral load is more around sexual transmission mm. but when you've got a really low viral load like your your chance of passing it on is negligible well it's zilch for mm. for daily you know for sexual transmission or for daily you know touching people but mm. and obviously in a medical sense it's going to be extremely l much lower than yeah. it's great English isn't it but yeah. it's going to be a lot lower than yeah. um someone who has a high viral load it's mm. crazy so anyway we'll talk more about viral load at the end but tell us yeah. first so you're back at the farm back and the you farm. try to I go to the dentist and you get discriminated yep mm. <laughs> i then uh started i did uh, took got a job with the new zealand and then i um found what i thought was the love of my life um found out a few years later that it wasn't actually him it was actually pet dog but <laughs> <laughs> um is the dog still with you yeah yeah that's the love of your life it's the love of your life yeah. <laughs> i've had the same dog for 17 years yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so i ended up shifting over to uh wa and i was working then worked uh for an airline here in wa and for this next little bit of the story i'm going to keep names of companies out of it mm -hmm. but i um Ended working with that airline and then I was doing some work just around the city. I started getting involved in the HIV sector, d d wanting to make a change and wanting to make people's experience who were diagnosed that it wasn't as, as traumatic as mine, that they knew that they had the support and help mm. there available and, and advocacy around HIV um, and laws in, uh, around it. I'll get onto that a little oh, bit yeah. later. There's mm -hmm. a little bit of time pack there as well around HIV laws, sure. but they are quite specific to each area. Mm -hmm. Then I went back working for an airline mm -hmm. and I was actually in my probationary period mm -hmm. and I got hauled into the admin office one day, just got back on a flight from a flight, called me in and before I'd even sat down at the boardroom table they took me into, they said to me, we've found out you're HIV positive. And I said, oh, hello. And good, good morning to you too. Yeah. Um, Were you working as a host? Is yeah, I was a yeah. flight attendant yeah. at the time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I said, look, you, in your, I was wanting to say in your stalking of me, but in your um, research of me, I'm sure you will also be aware that I do a lot of work um, in WA and um federally uh, over in Sydney and that mm -hmm. with with NAPWA and with other HIV organisations. Um, so I'm happy if you want to forget this conversation ever started mm. and we'll leave this here. However, I said, if you do wish to proceed, I can assure you that I'll have the support of every single HIV peer-based organisation within the country. Mm. They proceeded to stand me down. Oh, and carry out an investigation on me. The, through the course of the investigation, they brought up another um, allegation against me of which that I'd used the word shit in a public space. Oh. Now the airline that I was working for, just to give some context, was 
it wasn't Emirates <laughs> or Qantas or any great, amazing five-star airline. Mm -hmm. It was a um, charter airline for mining companies. Right, so they would have heard a lot worse oh, than shit. Yes. yes. Mm. Um, which actually helped to strengthen mm. the case later on when, um, when we went to court, but basically long and short of it is they terminated me for um, not disclosing my HIV status on a pre-employment form. Mm. Now there are two aspects of looking at this around. There is the um, employment law and then there's um, human rights. So from a human rights perspective, they had no right to know my HIV status. My HIV sta status didn't impact my ability to carry out the, the job of which I was hired to do. Um, but from an employment law, I had, I had, in one aspect, been untruthful on a pre-employment form by not disclosing my HIV status. Mm -hmm. However, I had fair reason not why to, I would not yeah. to because of the discrimination involved with yeah, it. They wouldn't have employed you. No, mm. full yeah. stop. Yeah. They wouldn't. If this is their reaction, they definitely yeah. wouldn't. Yeah. yeah. So the through the course of the investigation, I did find out some of the conversations that were had in the management meetings, which included people well outside my, the management structure of which I was in. So people were openly talking about my HIV status mm. in different areas of the business. Mm. Um, they made, cons the one concern was raised that what would happen if the pilots found out mm. that they'd been served a meal by an HIV positive person. The other concern was raised is what happens if someone finds out that, that someone had administered first aid to them and that person was HIV positive. Not realising that the first thing with first aid is exactly. to use your PPE. Mm. Yeah. Gloves and you also want to protect yourself. Mm. So, um, yeah, I was uh, uh, terminated. Obviously at that time losing my job and for such a personal reason really affected me um, mentally. Mm. I had no desire to apply for another job. Yeah, of okay. course. You would have lost your kind of will. Yeah. will yeah, because yeah. yeah, yeah. It's interesting how many people come out of the woodwork when they know of the experience you're going through. Mm. And I had about five or six other HIV positive people come to me at that time from different parts of Australia, but quite a few from WA who had all experienced discrimination within their workplace and either lost their jobs or had not been employed when people found out about their HIV status. Mm. And we see HIV positive people are, have a higher unemployment rate than other sections of the community. And that's where the discrimination definitely affects one, their employment, but it goes on to affect mental health mm -hmm. because of that discrimination and not being able to get meaningful employment. Mm -hmm. um, I was lucky that so I did a couple of cleaning jobs here and there, and then um, I was lucky that it kind of actually went quite well. Next thing I had a mate helping me do the cleans because I was so busy. Uh, then I ended up hiring someone, and now I have a company with 28 cleaners working for me. Mm -hmm. um, we have two carpet cleaning and specialist flooring vans on the road every day. We have a gardening side. Um, and we also do laundry services for short-term accommodation. So there's a perfect example of out of adversity comes something good. Yeah, yeah. I hate to say it because it's so cliche, mm. but it is simply when life throws you lemons, mm. you make lemonade. Yeah. Um, and I always do say this with my story that I would never wish upon anyone else and nor would I want to give someone ever HIV. But... It's made me the man I am today, mm -hmm. and um, each of these experiences has has made me the the man and person I am today, and 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 I'm grateful for that. Mm. So, I think it's mm. difficult, isn't it? Because I think any adversity that anyone has in life does make you a different person. But that could have gone a completely different way. You could have been, you know, you could have ended up suicidal over that. Instead, you made lemonade, but it could yeah. have been very different. Yeah, and uh, sure, I've had my I had my moments as well, mm. um, you know. And when you can't kill yourself, what can you do? <laughs> Live. Yeah. So. Yeah. So yeah. So you started your business, and then I'm assuming that you oh. had like legal action against these people. Yeah. So we we proceeded. 
putting a complaint in around human rights. Uh, it went to mediation. There was no settlement. And then three days prior to it going to the court case, um, the settlement was reached. There was a monetary amount involved. Um, then there were two other parts of the settlement which I would not budge on. One was that the um, organisation had to carry out HIV 101 training mm -hmm. throughout the whole organisation. Great. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall with oh, that. Yeah. And the other part of it was that they had to change their pre-employment uh, procedure, that if if a medical condition was disclosed to the medical practitioner carrying out the pre-employment check and it did not hinder the ability of the applicants, the, the applicant's ability to carry out the job of which they were applying for, that it would not be disclosed onto the company. Yeah, okay. So that was still, so there was room for the applicant to disclose that by not, and not be a lie, and not be found to be lying. But it was a safe place yeah. Yeah. because the, the medical practitioner didn't have to disclose it unless it was like a back injury that might affect their ability to do their job. Yeah. Yeah, okay. And there's still a lot of things, like HIV is one of them, but when you look at like diabetes, I mean, mm. really, how many employers need to know that someone has a diabetes? And some of these pre-employment checks, they are so intrusive. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of it is, uh, being an employer now myself, a lot of it is around workers' comp and setting the baseline for any potential workers' mm. comp claims. But there's so much that employers do not need to know about people. Well, I even think with depression and anxiety. I mm. mean, yeah. you know, you meet a patient who's really depressed or anxious and you say, I'd really like to prescribe you something. And it's like, oh, I don't want that on my record yeah. because I don't want to have to disclose that to my employer. And you and they probably will be. Dis I'm sure there's a lot of employers who discriminate against mm. anxiety and depression. And like, how sad is that? Like, yeah. you know, that's it's not going to affect... If you're well controlled and you're getting treatment, you're not, it's not going to interfere mm. with your with your with your w ability to do a job and you know there's no guarantee that if you don't have that problem you won't get it <laughs> yeah. yeah well i know people with AD who also have adhd mm. and they won't take the medication for it because if it is on there mm. for the same reason they don't want it on their um pre-employment forms yeah. or and they'd yeah. actually be a better employee if they took it yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, this was my first ever sexual experience yeah. that i had in japan <laughs> <laughs> and i met this guy and he um he we went up this high road building and out onto the fire escape and then he just wanted to touch my feet he probably if he was japanese he'd probably never seen such big, big feet. feet they yeah. are quite big feet <laughs> And I was like, oh, well, this is really weird. I guess this is this what it is to be gay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and um, so, yeah, he um, he just, like, held my feet and stroked them. And, and then we took a walk around and had a coffee or something. And then he wanted to have another go with my feet. <laughs> um, and he wasn't interested in anything else with me um, apart from my feet. So oh, yeah. I found out later that that's what a foot fetish is. Yes. Um, and it was, um, and that I've never been with anyone again who was so fa enamored with my feet. So I'm assuming you didn't just want to see his feet. So that would have been a little bit well, of he, a letdown. He did get his dick out. Oh, good. Oh, okay. So yeah, it, it wasn't like we were fully, like we were sitting on these steps of a, um, high rise building, yeah. Um, basically having a wank, and he, but and and for me, it was all you know, being a, a seventeen year old, it was all just so fascinating. Mm. But um, for him, it was also fascinating because they're size fifteen feet. So yeah, he probably just wanted to put his penis <laughs> near your feet. <laughs> <laughs> my mind, the pictures in my head yeah, right now is boggling. I, yeah, that's the one thing I remember the most. So the maybe point. I have a um, maybe I need to start a um. YouTube, uh, no, what fans. is it? OnlyFans only for my feet. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So I guess the question now is what is dating life for you now? Is it tricky, the same? Yeah. Um, look, it's it, when we talk about um, discrim HIV discrimination, we often think back to the 90s or OOs when we were, it was before we had U equals U. It was before we had any real knowledge how effective the treatment was and there was a lot of, we think of that real blatant 
discrimination, a bit like what we were chatting about before where you had your son in the cot. Yeah, with, with a HIV kid and mm. I was told I was a terrible mother when I knew that they weren't having sex and shooting up so they were never going to get it. Like yeah. It was all ridiculous. But I think for our listeners, they won't understand, most people don't know how effective the treatment is now and what it means. So could you just give us a brief rundown of what the treatment is now and what that actually means for a HIV person? Well, ironically, today I started on a very new treatment, which is was two jabs in either side of my ass mm-hmm. um, into the glutes. And I will go back in a month time, month's time um, for another two jabs, and then it'll be two monthly after that. And that is the treatment. It's... Um, uh, it, it's a little bit like, you know, uh, contraceptive, um, yeah. oh, imp- like what yeah. do you call it, yeah. implants or whatever. Yeah. Um, and it is a slow release and it's just a ja- a two jabs in, in intermuscular every, um, every two months. Oh, wow. However, prior to that, I was on oral medication, which is one pill once a day. And that has been the standard medication for the last... Oh... For the last while. So can I just... Now, this is my understanding of this is very rudimentary, so correct me if I'm wrong, but the way I understand it is if you're taking the medication... If you're diagnosed with HIV positive and you take the medication, it reduces your viral load to negligible, which means that you could safely have unprotected sex with another person or bleed all over them or whatever and not give them HIV. Is that correct? In essence, yes. Yeah. So anyone who is on... Uh, nowadays, when you get diagnosed, they will literally put you onto medication straight away, and very you'll probably end up with an undetectable viral load within. And I hate to put actual t- um, timeline around this because everyone's body is different, mm-hmm. and it's not just HIV. With any health response to an illness, everyone's body reacts in a different way. Um, I always say I smelt the medication and I went undetectable. Yeah. Some people they struggle. It can take them six months to a year, and I and I and it can be a real psychological struggle for them as well because everyone talks about an undetectable viral load. Not everyone is able to achieve that. Mm-hmm. Some people really struggle to get a viral load that is down under two hundred. Yeah, and t- then once you so you once keep you getting have, tested to get that under. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so nowadays you'll go straight onto medication. And you'll generally get a um, undetectable viral load within a month or three months. Right. An undetectable viral load does mean that you can't transmit it sexually. Mm-hmm. They've never come out and said that you won't transmit it through through blood or intravenously. Okay. And and I think that is really that's because the needle exchange programs are so important for stopping mm-hmm. hepatitis and other bloodborne mm-hmm. viruses yeah. that that they don't want to undo all that good work of the needle needle exchange programs and, and mm. everyone using clean fits or yeah. that every yeah. for every shot. But from a relationship perspective, you know, mm. knowing that you can't get it from sex if your partner is on on this yeah. is great, isn't it? Nowadays, um, look the other the other form of transmission is through breast milk mm-hmm. and they've never come out and said that undetectable is also strong enough for breast milk. However, I know of some women who have breastfed their babies and there's been no transmission. They've had an undetectable viral load and they've fallen pregnant. They've given birth naturally and they've breastfed their babies. Mm, so, yeah, like as we were talking about before, my I don't have any recent experience with HIV and it's all from like back in the, yeah. the 90s um, working in Aboriginal communities in the Kimberleys and there was a lot of HIV. Yeah. And that was, you know, because there were meds available no one took them mm. and you know the kids had it you know and and i think that's very different to what happens now and i think a lot of people in my age group particularly and a bit older just don't understand how much these things have changed mm. yeah yeah, yeah. Mm. um when i was first diagnosed uh world health organization guidelines were to hold off on going on to medication because at that stage they still didn't know how effective the medication was and how long each regime because at that stage people were going on to a regime and then the HIV would circumnavigate around mm. those mm-hmm. that medication and then you'd have to change your regime and there was only so many regimes and then you just had to let the, um, HIV run its course and go to AIDS and then um, mm. it was uh, on to you know to death 
Um, so I didn't start onto medication for about eight or nine years oh, after really? my diagnosis. Yeah, but now mm -hmm. nowadays the because they know that the damage done to the immune system is often not repaired, it's mm. long lasting. Mm. So now, of course, with the better treatments, people go straight onto medication. And often a lot of gay guys are already on PrEP, yeah. um, pre-exposure prophylaxis, which is basically HIV medication, which is given to someone who is HIV neg negative, and it is like a biochemical condom. Mm. It stops the, well, for HIV, mm. it stops the, the if they are exposed to the virus, it won't. Um yeah, and I think that's something as well that, like, um, it's that prep is available, like, subsidised by the government for men who identify as having sex with men, but it's not. You know, they have to pay for it if they don't identify, which is difficult because there's a lot of bisexual men around that would never want someone else to know, so they don't identify as having sex true? with men. Yeah, you must have met them, I'm sure. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not mean. I'm meaning that it, they they don't get it subsidised for them. No, so it's only subsidised for men who identify as having sex with men. So if you don't do that, you actually have to pay for it. Ah. So that really prevents people from going on prep that are bisexual, or they might be, you know, predominantly be with women and then occasionally be with a man. And I just think that that's crazy. Crazy, yeah. And like, I mean, you know, when I've met bisexual men and they say oh I don't no one really knows this is kind of under the cast I really encourage them to say like if you identify as a man who has sex with men you can go on prep and it costs you very little yeah but also like prep on demand you, you don't need to be on prep every day you can go on prep on demand which mm. is taking a double dosage uh, up to two uh, two hours prior to your potential exposure mm. and then taking it for two days after so if you're having a party weekend mm. or you are um you know going up to southeast asia um where you know you could engage in you, you know you're you're probably going to be off your face on drugs or on <laughs> al yeah. alcohol and you're probably going to hook up with a lady boy or a hooker yeah um or just have sex with one of the locals where their hiv rates are high, high um you can actually take that precaution which mitigates some of that risk so you can still have a great time mm. and know that you're not going to bring back more than that penis bottle opener souvenir that you <laughs> buy from the store <laughs> down the road or if you do the other things are fixable with antibiotics and if yeah. you leave hiv in the country it's a bit better for us yeah. all so yeah. do we see local transmission or do we see more bringing it in from overseas sort of holidays so wa is a very um interesting little state mm. we we see very little local transmission we see a, we see a quite a high lot of um, southeast asian strains coming through and particularly amongst um what the section of community which is men who have uh, men who have sex with men mm. um or fly and fly out um straight identifying men okay. mm. or you know you see it in i mean i've only ever diagnosed two people with HIV and were both men who went on regular trips to Thailand. Okay. Yeah. And I and I feel as that they I'd certainly identified as heterosexual and maybe it was a lady boy, maybe it was a boy, maybe it was a woman there that had had sex with a man or whatever, with someone with HIV, who yeah. knows? But in those countries, they're not on PrEP and they're not, you know, less likely to be on medications that are lowering their load, so the danger is much higher. Mm. And different countries also have different, like I know in New Zealand, I would not be able to be on the treatment that I get, that I have access to here in Australia. Why is that? And Why? it's because of like the PBS, uh, PBS or um, what's it called in New Zealand? Yeah, so the expense is much higher. Yeah, so they the government will only subsidise certain medications. Um, so y you only have access to those medications unless you want to pay for it. Mm. And HIV medication is not cheap. You're looking at over $1,000 a month. Yeah, yeah. so that's what that. I'm saying. Like, If the men who don't identify as having sex with men, it's like unaffordable. Mm. But you can also get PrEP on. You can also purchase PrEP online, and it's about yes. $60 oh, okay. Okay. for two months, I think. And that that's what it used to be so great. if you didn't want to go and get a script you could look at getting it through that way okay um yeah interesting yeah 
So sorry, Kendall, you asked a question before, Ryan, about his relationships, oh, yes, yes. and we yeah, oh, yeah we digressed from that. Um. So yeah, now um. So yeah, I was kind of talking about discrimination, and the reason for that was when I have my HIV status on my online profiles, Scruff, Grinder, um, Recon, whatever, pro- Tinder. Well, don't really use Tinder; it's not such a um, common one. <laughs> but um, it, it's it's when when I have my HIV status on there the traffic and the and the communication definitely drops. Okay. Um, mm. So it's definitely some of something that what it's what we call zero sorting. So mm. quite often people, when they're looking at um, a partner or looking at someone who they're going to hook up with, they will, they will zero sort. Um, and I also zero sort on the opposite way around. Like I'm, I would prefer to have sex with someone who is on prep or cause you, at least you know that they, they have, an awareness around their sexual health. Um, one that I quite often avoid is someone who demands condom use because we know that condoms are the most ineffective form of safe sex. It's, um, I mean, condoms were made to stop pregnancies. They weren't made to stop. Um, and the health department would hate me for saying mm. this out loud. But, um, like, they're just a piece of latex that break, like, they break, they get left in someone's wallet, they get... Um, the other thing that I think is, let's face it, you've usually waved the dick around quite a lot yeah, before you roll it on. Yeah. And so, you know, people, you know, every, I mean, I think I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't be using condoms, but, you know, you get people come in who have got herpes or whatever, and they're like, I wore a condom. And I'm like, yeah, but you yeah. didn't put it on when you first got it out. Like... You must have been waving it around for a while before you rolled the condom on. You no, know? Normally there's been a bit of rubbing or, yeah, you know, and even sometimes a little bit of, you know, the tip in. Yeah. And then, you know, when you're going for the real penetration, you think, oh, I better put it on. Yeah. It's too late then. You've transmitted late. everything already. Mm. Um, where things like PrEP or um, taking pre-exposure prophylaxis, it's not just around HIV, um, like... I went to Berlin last year and I took doxy, doxycycline mm. while I was there and I came back with no SDIs. Ah, so, so that was like you were preventing getting chlamydia, yeah. for instance. Ah, I didn't even think of that. That's a great idea. So you can do it with it. Well, I'm probably not supposed to advocate for yeah. these sort of things as well. But, you know, you can be sex positive and live a really yeah. um, mm. great sex life without without catching all these things along the road or just test regularly and... And um, you know, get treated. Get treated. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. And I mean, for anyone listening, I am definitely suggesting that you should be using condoms, but just don't think they're uh, a save all because of the reasons we've discussed. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, as far as dating goes, it definitely does impact um, a sex life. Mm. Um often on the apps it's very brutal because people are looking when you meet someone in person you they quite often look at your personality they'll get chatting with you you'll have a beer um and then you get discussing you know what sex position you like you know whether you have hiv what what your fetishes sort of are we're online a lot of all that and so people go through and they sort out they literally go if you what sex position what what your HIV status is, what fetishes you're into, and they strip it down really quickly. So you don't have wow. to buy someone five beers before you discover that they're a bottom and so are you? No. You, you go, can, you go you oh, can, I'm not going to even bother with him. No. He's a bottom and I want to be that. You can, no, you can normally <laughs> chat in 30 seconds. You should be on their way around to them. <laughs> and it's all done. Ten minutes later, you're walking off down the street going to KFC or somewhere. Yeah, right. Excellent. Okay. Yeah, so. I mm. It's such an easier way of dating, isn't it? Oh, oh my God. In the gay world, it is very yeah. transactional. Yeah. It is. Yeah. But even I think even for heterosexual couples, this online dating, I know it's fraught with bad stuff. But it's got to be easier than five dates with someone before you find out they hate dogs and they're your favourite thing or something. Yeah. yeah. At least you see that on the on their app. Or like chatting online for like two weeks before you even have a drink. Just yeah. Get it done. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. You're mm. soon going to find out if the chemistry's there or not yeah. once you get in the sheets. Yeah, and the other thing about it's difficult is that, you know, like lots of people just aren't very photogenic. So mm. you know, it's like you you kind of just have to swipe right don't you and then talk to them <laughs> for a bit and figure it out 
I've never done online dating, except uh. I've done it vicariously <laughs> through my friends. And um, it's quite entertaining. <laughs> I mean, it's quite handy to have a girlfriend who will um, take care of your Tinder account for you. Yeah. And just okay. hand it to them and then organise yeah. a blind date for you. My daughter has this amazing idea. She thinks that I should start an app, a dating app for people with STIs. So there should be like a herpes section and so if you've got herpes you don't ever have to worry about telling the other person you've got herpes because they've already got it mm. if they've been in that section if you've got hiv same deal or you know whatever so that you're only bothering yeah with people who like have got the same stuff going on so you don't have to like get over all that awkwardness so what happens with um bug chasers then ah don't know how you wield them out but if they're bug chasers they just sort of deserve it don't they yeah so so <laughs> so well yeah, bug chasers. It's a, such an interesting thing, especially around HIV. So bug chasing was a really major thing, especially back in the 90s, but it still is around today where people actively seek out HIV-positive people and they want you to give them the virus. So why is what? that? I've heard this of this term, but I'm never sure what, what it's about. Why would you want that? Um, I always... Uh, I, one explanation for it is that it's the biggest fear that people have, and that's about approaching that fear full on it's like if you have a fear of heights going up and bungee jumping or okay. you know you just go right i'm gonna face my fear mm -hmm. I, that's kind of one aspect around it i mean there's other aspects of mental health issues around you know low self-esteem or um mm. or that um and there's other things that like any fetish there's no explanation around the fetish mm. it's just what turns that person on um, like uh, the danger, you know, it's like, oh, yeah. it's a bit yeah. dangerous and I wonder if I can play Russian roulette with this order. And what turns on one person doesn't necessarily turn on another. Oh, yeah, we know that. Um, yeah, don't we, Kendall? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and can you play Russian roulette with HIV? Like, is there a chance that you can have sex with someone Look, positive and not get it? Yeah, you can. It can be. And, and not necessarily, like, even if you're topping only, you can still end up with HIV. It, just because you're a top only doesn't mean that you're not going to get HIV you could get it could you could get it from an HIV positive bottom um, what what i find like often now even like you'll be halfway through sex and someone will go oh dump your pos load in me or um, i really want your pos load and you're like well actually i'm undetectable and like Kill the mood. yeah <laughs> um, i don't really want to give you HIV anyway no. um, that wasn't but it's it for them it's kind of a fetish thing it's kind of yeah that must be a weird thing for you is it like is that like when someone says that is that a turn off it's a i have a very um i don't know open mind no i'm um i i have a very pragmatic mind so for me i'm like well i'm un undetectable anyway so like what are yeah. you talking about? I suppose it's no different to people like, like someone talking dirty to you, is it? It's the way of talking dirty, yeah. Yeah, it's probably just that. You know, some people like to be told things that they don't really want to do in real life, but they like to hear it. So maybe it's exactly the same. Yeah. Mm. I've never yeah. thought about it before. It's mm. quite fascinating, isn't it? So and I, I know it goes for other STIs as well. Yeah. Um, so your, your actual um, app that your daughter suggested would actually probably be and undated okay. it'll become a fetish app oh, not that's actually it. that's it we're yeah. actually now there we go we could have a whole like sti and fetish app if you're into shoes you go to this section if you're into balloons you go to this section if you're oh, into yes. kites you go to this section i think we're on to a whole new business yeah, idea yeah. here kendall yeah. Yeah. and clowns and yeah yes are you looking for a new business <laughs> no thanks <laughs> I'm, I'm not having anything to do with that. <laughs> That's yeah. fraught with risk. Oh, God, it is. It is. We do one for our injectables, too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Do you know? Do you really like penises that stay up for an hour and yeah. don't go down? Go to this section of the app. Yes. <laughs> this is a whole new world. <laughs> so, Ryan, I think your story is absolutely amazing. And I think I'm really hoping, because a lot of our listeners are my generation or older, and I really hope that, this they've learned something from it mm. and i can't wait to see everybody write in and make comments because mm. good and bad because i'd love to hear if this whole podcast has changed the listeners attitude to hiv and if you've learned something new and if you have any other questions please email me because i might be able to send them on to ryan and get them answered from 
from you if you're up for it. Yeah, sure. Yeah, always happy to answer questions. Mm. Did you have anything else you wanted to ask Ryan Kendall that we haven't talked about? No, I think you kind of answered all my questions along the way with treatment and diagnosis and, and just what's sort of happening out there. Yeah, mm. it's yeah. really interesting. I think my takeaway really is that HIV now is just a chronic disease, really, isn't yeah. it? Like diabetes or something. It's yeah, it is. Totally I, I always say that someone with HIV is probably going to have a longer life expectancy than anyone else because we, we, t we, we do a full blood screen every six months. Mm. And I know unless someone else, someone has other underlying health conditions, it's not like your car that you go and service every month. People like literally don't go and get a blood test for anything until mm. something goes wrong. And the fact that we're screening fully every six months, um, officially they say the life expectancy is the same, but I would say potentially it's longer. So last question, is there any chance for medication failure? Is there a point where your body just goes, no more? There's what they call blips, okay. which is when um, someone doesn't maintain an undetectable viral load. And a blip can be caused by um, poor adherence to medication. I I don't know off the top of my head and I haven't heard recently of anyone having medication failure. Okay. Um, I know back in the 90s that used to be, and that's why people didn't go into medication straight away because of that concern. Mm. But now the medication these days is so effective um, and even, so much so that they're even starting to... to remove one one part of the triple therapy um, for people who have a sustained undetectable viral load with no mm. blips. Mm. So. Mm. Mm. That was great. Thank mm. you so much. I think that's just been absolutely fascinating. Mm. I know a little bit about HIV and I'm fascinated. So I think anyone yeah. who knows nothing will be completely fascinated. You know, thanks very much for having me on here. It's yeah. been great. That was great. Lives inside me. It's been there. All of my life. Hi, I'm Melissa and I hope you enjoyed the podcast this week. Just a reminder, if you've been diagnosed with prostate cancer, I've built a penile rehabilitation program just for you. It's an online program packed with information, exercises and advice along with proven strategies that will get your penis back in working order as quickly as possible in about 15 minutes a day. If you like the sound of that, then please head over to penile rehabilitation program dot com and you can start straight away or there's a link from the rs health website we would also love you to review and subscribe and share this podcast so we can help more men links to instagram and facebook are in the show notes we look forward to seeing you there so spread the word that help is available all the best for now bye i've got a boy of my own now it fills me with pride to see him growing so fast into a man Come on.